to um, go to Columbia to um, preach at a little church plant in Lexington. It's a church plant that's being sponsored by First Presbyterian of Columbia, which if you all know anything about our denomination, it's the biggest church in the entire denomination. Anyway, uh, this was about, I guess, maybe 7.30 in the morning, and I'm sitting in my recliner, and the only person, other, other person that's up is my little two-year-old grand, uh, great-granddaughter. And so I'm going over the sermon, and uh, she comes up and she sits on my lap. And I'm, I didn't realize what, I guess I didn't realize what I was doing because all of a sudden I hear her mumbling words after me. And I'm like, huh. So I'd say a little more and she'd talk a little bit more. And then I noticed one other thing. If y'all have not noticed before, I do not talk with my hands still, okay? My wife has told me that if anybody ever tied my hands down, I couldn't talk. Uh, I don't know whether that's true or not. But I found her. And here again, she's sitting on my right right knee. And I, I'm, I'm, you know, today we're getting And she's going, da, 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 da. And she starts this. <laughs> and, I'm, and, and then she looks up. After I get through, she looks up at me and she smiles and she goes, like that. <laughs> It's a lesson that came to me, and I told the folks there last week, and I'm telling you all too. A two-year-old that I was not even paying much attention to what she was listening or or watching me. Uh, Folks, we have two-year-olds, we have 12-year-olds, 22-year-olds, we have 72-year-old folks and older who listen to us. Who watch what we say and how we carry ourselves. And so I want you to remember that. Um, it had a, a big impact on me. Couldn't wait to get here this morning to tell you all. And I will tell that story again to other churches that I go to that hadn't heard it before. But it's something that I think is very, very important to us. It taught me a great lesson. We need to be very, very careful with how we carry ourselves. Are we Christians or are we of the world? And we have the opportunity to, to Mickey, to, to Della, to all of our children, but more are just as important, not more important, but just as important. We have that opportunity to show each other whether we're of the world or whether we're of Christ. So I ask you this morning, you know, what, what will you do? What, how will you carry yourself? All right, that's lesson number one. Uh, we are looking at Revelation 11, chapter 15 through 19 this morning. So if you would, would you stand while I read God's Word? Here's where John has written to us. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying... The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants... The prophets and saints and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, 
and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Grass withers, the flowers fade away, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Y'all may be seated. Thank you. Today we're going to look at some old friends from earlier chapters. We see the 24 elders again who were found in chapter 4. In fact, chapter 4 sounds very similar to what we see in chapter 11 today. The thunder and the lightning uh, are here as they were in chapter 4. But what the elders were saying in 4 is not the same as we see in chapter 11. Both are praises for sure, yet it appears in chapter 11 as if they're calling for judgment to come. In fact, the words of the elders sound more like words of prophecy Whereas in chapter 4, they were more words of exaltation for who God was. Not so much as in 11, for what he was about to do. One of my commentators said that chapter 11 is a summary or a syllabus, maybe even a synopsis of events leading to the door of eternity. That will occur according to this writer that I'm speaking of in chapter 21. Now, this next example that I give you may be a weak example, but my first thought on verse 15 was not unlike how we might stand, sing, and give our allegiance to our country as we sing our national anthem before some event takes place. These great voices are leading the way, expressing their devotion to God and what He was doing and was about to do. They're singing, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. In other words, they're singing their hosannas to God for giving the kingdom of the earth to Jesus. Satan had been defeated. The the centuries-long battle is now over. And as we all knew all along, Jesus wins. And because Jesus wins, we win. The end is in sight. The end of evil as we have known it for so long, since the serpent was introduced in Genesis 3.1, when the fall of man was made manifest, perhaps arguably Satan's finest hour, the end is now in sight. The culmination of God's plan of redemption that we see introduced to us in Genesis 3.15 is now coming to pass. Even better. Is now it, it's about to all come to an end, and that's good news. Now, notice that in 15 it is said that the kingdom of the world becomes the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ. It isn't kingdoms, plural, but it's a singular kingdom. There'll be no division between races, colors, creeds, or any other type of potential that could create problems among God's people. All are His anyway. The trumpet sounds and the joy begins, in essence. And He's going to be King forever and ever. You know, we could argue that we are a divided people, that we are are divided by continents, uh, that we're divided oftentimes by uh, seas creating division amongst those continents. Even a, a nation's border can feel somewhat detached from others. 
roadblocks between Canada and the United States. And the United States and Mexico take special recognition to move freely, relatively freely at least, from one country to another. That recognition comes in the form of a passport. Those border uh, patrols can look at your record and found on a computer and can tell if you're a safe bet for entrance into their country or not. Looking at our country, subdivisions separate us in the areas that we live. Even school districts can cause necessary divisions between us. The church is not immune either. We're Baptist or Presbyterian, Jew or Gentile, Christian or atheist. We have divisions everywhere on this planet. And it seems that we're trying to be divided even more today. We're told that we will no, that will no longer be the case when this time in chapter 11 in our reading for this morning occurs. All will become one kingdom. We've seen words of the great multitudes that will be in heaven. Nowhere have I read, y'all may correct me on this after, but I have never seen that those great multitudes in heaven will come with a series of divisions or perhaps a caste system or another way that we can separate people to make them inferior to who we are. We are, after all, the best, right? The way I read this, and this one might get you, Presbyterians and Baptists might actually get along in heaven. How about that? (laughs) But there's going to be one kingdom. You know, we got no say-so in this. It's going to be one kingdom, and that's the way it's going to be. And although I read a couple of translations that use the word kingdoms, plural, I prefer the singular here, especially when it comes to the heavenly kingdom. The kingdoms that Satan had ruled over for so long, many, many of those kingdoms may still be left here on earth, but honestly, that's not going to last much longer. Either way, it's all going to belong to Jesus anyway. He alone will be king. He alone will reign supreme over all things. And on top of that, his reign will last forever. Can't be much more definitive than that, I don't think. We move on to verse 16 where we see the 24 elders again worshiping God. Now, we don't necessarily get the idea that they're leading worship here. That may be that they're, they're merely just worshiping God among themselves. Maybe they're not. I don't know. But it is something that we can do too. We don't, we don't have to be a part of a great group of people to worship God. It can be done sitting under a tree, floating lazily in a river, maybe even riding along in a car. No audience is necessary for you to worship your God. Also, you don't even have to have a particular type or form of praise in your heart. Just praise God for who He is, anytime, day or night. Not just from 10-ish to 11-ish. Anybody pick up what I did there? Okay, just, just checking, just checking to make sure, all right? Look at what the elders are praising God for at this moment in verse 16. They thank him first for being who he is. But then they worship and they praise him for what is about to take place. The termination of evil is about to occur. It's a time of joy for them, for all of the great multitudes who are there in heaven. 
those whose blood was to be avenged, those who lived their entire lives in love with Jesus, even those who came to Jesus after all the destruction of the earth was taking place in this book of Revelation. Everyone who had a seat at the table, they can rejoice. And you have to wonder, as as we said, if, if 24 are merely worshiping God themselves, or are they leading worship of all? No matter, no matter what, one of the things we need to remember is to thank God for all that he has done in our life. Think about this now, okay? Even to the point of thanking God for taking care of us all the day long now. I was talking to somebody the other day, a lady I went to visit. And she said, you know, I, I stop sometimes and I look back to what Jesus has done for me throughout my life. How so many times had I taken the wrong turn. It could have ended in disaster for me, for my family. But I look back and I see what He has done in my life. And how He has protected me through the Holy Spirit. How He has kept me safe. Do that sometime. It's a great exercise if you will. Because I can promise you, I sure wouldn't be here today. In my mind, I probably would be dead a long time ago, quite honestly. And we won't get into specifics on that. We don't need to. Just suffice it to say, I ain't who I was. All right? But I think we can all pretty well say that sort of thing. But I, I just think about that sort of thing. What he has done for you. But also, thank God for what He is going to do for you in the days ahead. How He is going to protect you. How He is going to lead you. How He is going to grant you His wisdom tomorrow. Can we, in faith, thank God for what He will do for us in the days ahead? Folks, that's faith. That's part of your faith system. That's part of who we should be as Christians. That's why these 24, that's what these 24 elders are doing right here. They they are praising God for not only what he has done, but what he will do. And that's important. Here I am doing these things. My two-year-old have a field day with that. (laughs) This this is a great lesson, though, for, for every one of us here, okay? Now, look at what else they're praising God for here. You have taken over the world. Satan is no longer in control. Those left on earth were far from happy. Yet you, O God, your wrath came. Basically, you showed them who's boss. Satan and his rule over man and earth is coming to an end. And Satan and his henchmen are not happy about it at all. Remember these folks left on earth now. Remember who they were, okay? They were the kings and the rulers and and even down to the lowest of peasants are still left. These were the ones who did not have the time or the inclination to listen about who Jesus was and what he could do for them. They wouldn't listen or take the time to listen and understand when it came to what their sin and the sin of man in general had done to them. They ignored, maybe they even downplayed the good news when it was offered to them. 
the news of God's ultimate redeeming grace brought to them through the love, grace, and mercy that God had for us in his son, Jesus. Maybe when they were young, they heard the words of John 3.16. Maybe they went to vacation Bible school with with a friend and and they, they learned these words, for God so loved the world. But time, when they were young, was taken up by other things in life, more important. Then time, when they became older, was just simply non-existent for them anymore. They didn't have time to remember that He gave His only begotten Son. They just didn't have time to recollect those words. Maybe, maybe when, when success in life was the most important to, thing to them, the last words they would have stopped to remember or want to even consider were that whosoever believeth in, in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Maybe those would have been the last words on their mind. And they were angry. These folks are angry because their day got sidetracked. Maybe now it was even ruined. And they were hot about it. Maybe that'll be their excuse when they stand before our Lord in judgment. But in the meantime, while they're still here on earth, they're just angry. Angry because their schedule got upset. Angry because the deal that was going to bring them so much money that they'd never have to worry about working again just got ripped out of their grasp. But then came those large chunks of rock, almost the size of mountains. And then all of a sudden, they're looking for a place to hide. You remember Revelation 6, 15. You know, though, this anger and continuous rebellion should not be a surprise to us as Christians. Look at what Paul wrote in Romans 8, 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. As the saying goes, you could almost see this coming from a mile away. But it's just about time for two things to take place. First is judgment for the wicked. For those who have caused harm to Christ's church over the years. For those like the guy we just talked about a minute ago who who never took the time to know Jesus or have Him in His life. Who maybe at some point had heard the street preacher and him and anyone else who would listen. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now, it's at hand. It's time to be judged. We can see this a bit more clearly in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. On the other hand, there will be the second thing. This will be the reward for those who have stayed or became faithful to Christ Jesus. That was before it was too late. As it says here, your servants, the prophets, and the saints are mentioned specifically in our reading. Lastly, in verse 19... It said that the temple of God was opened in heaven. Y'all may remember a few weeks ago, I said I saw no reason for there to be a temple in heaven, that heaven itself was going to be God's temple. 
And honestly, I'm still having trouble wrapping my head around this entire thought, okay? But help me work it out. Let's work this together. There are words given to us by John that may help decipher this for us. Look how all of these verses set up, though. What, what do we see inside the temple? The Ark of the Covenant, right? Let's look a bit closer at the word temple here. That'll be important down the road. In the Greek, it is the word naos, N-A-O-S. Naos is a shrine for God, yes, but there's more. This particular word, naos, alludes to the innermost place of residence for God. Now think back to the tabernacle in the wilderness. God resided in the Holy of Holies, which was the innermost place in the tabernacle. The chief priest was allowed in there one day a year on the Day of Atonement. Where was God's place to reside but on the Ark of the Covenant? What was sprinkled on the Ark each year by the high priest? Remember, it's the blood of the Lamb, right? The people's sins were forgiven when those things took place. Who is now our Lamb? Jesus, isn't it? Does He not do the same thing for us? It was the blood that saved us from our sins. All right, look at Exodus 25, 22. It says this, There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you all about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. That was in the earthly temple, portable as it was for the moment. That's where God would reside to be with his people. Now, when we speak of the temple of God here in chapter 11, look at the term naos in Greek. It's also in Revelation 15, 5. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was open. Sanctuary, naos, in chapter 15 was used the same way temple, naos, was used in chapter 11. You with me so far? There's your Greek lesson for the morning. Talk about that one over lunch today, huh? Now, maybe you ask, okay, so what? Big deal. I just think that these terms that were used for the earthly temple that God had here on earth was also used again in heaven. Both places were to be places where God's people could and would meet with him. The difference in heaven is that God will be available to us all, whereas only the chief priest here on earth before Christ would have been able to go before God on our behalf. We saw where the curtain of the Holy of Holies was torn in two when Christ died on the cross. What's the important thing about that? It tells us that there was no longer needed a high priest to be our mediator. There was no reason that we could not go directly to God. There was no curtain left to have to go through or be kept from our God. We have since had the opportunity to come before God any time without needing anyone to go in our place. But we do have Jesus still as our mediator, right? But in heaven there will not even be a curtain, as I understand it. God will be in that same sacred place 
as he was on earth. But the beauty of it, we can go see any, our God anytime we want. There ain't going to be any having to get a ticket, stand in line. There ain't going to be anything about keeping us away from him. He is open to us. And we, as we know, will be open to him. The true completion of God's work will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about that one. At least that's how I see it. Okay? Y'all want to correct me after? I'm, I'm, I'm available. <laughs> we move to the last part of verse 19 of our reading. It states that there were lightnings, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. We've seen most of this before, haven't we? But the hail's kind of a new thing. There's a very close parallel, though, regarding this particular situation in chapter or in verse 19. It comes in Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 through 19, and a bit more in depth in Numbers chapter 11. Looking back just before this passage, we're told that God commanded Moses to consecrate or set apart a number of Israelites to meet with God at Mount Sinai, and so he did. Our passage in 16 through 19 of Exodus finds these men about to meet Yahweh. One caveat that God gave Moses was that no one was to touch the mountain or they would die. Now, we won't look at all four verses, but the gist of it is this. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. You see the parallel here? We have been set apart. We have been consecrated, if you will, for a heavenly home. In our Revelation reading today, we see that there were lightning, thundering, and an earthquake, which has kind of been a tradition in Revelation so far when something overpowering is about to take place. And then there was great hail. That's new, as we said a minute ago. In Exodus 19, the people of Israel were able to meet God. They couldn't see Him, for God was in a thick cloud. But they were there in God's presence. How awesome must that have been for those people who were there on that given day? I wonder then if perhaps because this has happened before with God's chosen, could something similar take place with God's chosen in heaven as they're meeting God for the first time? I don't know, just a thought. Well, at the same time, maybe stretch your mind a little bit perhaps, but perhaps with the earthquake and the hail going on, there was at the same time another disaster about to hit earth. I know we've talked about things happening sequentially perhaps, not all happening at one time, but one after the other and all. But maybe this is one time when things were happening in heaven and on earth all at the same time. Again, as I always say, I got no clue. Okay, one commentator I have states that this has more to do with the nation of Israel. That is concerning the temple and all. And that might be. I look at the temple or tabernacle as it is for God's chosen, just as it was in the wilderness. 
Whether that denotes a separate situation with the nation of Israel, I can't say, nor will I even attempt to figure that out in the time that we have here. But know this, we are coming to a climax at the end of the earth. We are coming to a greater desire to know what heaven is going to be like. And yet both climaxes for us are unattainable at this juncture. We read, we hear the words attempted to be deciphered, and we can imagine, what if? What if? And yet, here we still are, waiting. We're told to be patient, yet today things seem to be falling apart on this planet a little more each day. We've been given marching orders by Jesus to go out and tell the world a simple story of love, but also justice. Sadly, we're seeing in these chapters week by week many who perhaps were told of the good news and all it did was anger them. Anger them to commit more and more sin. Why? Why? I really can't say. And yet, we see that today, don't we? It's almost, if you talk about Jesus, you you can see the anger build up in people. When you talk about salvation, you, you can see this ire being built up by folks. They just don't want to hear. And I don't get that. The simple statement, repent for the kingdom is at hand, has not been popular in 2,000 years of spreading that word. But, you see, it's not up to us to tackle someone and make them listen until they finally give in. It's not how we do it. Revelation 3.20 told us If we listen carefully enough, we knock on the door of the heart of any and all who are willing to listen. And we let the Holy Spirit handle the rest of the details. Nothing more, nothing less. But do know this. Our disclaimer. Bet you thought I wasn't going to say it today, huh? Uh -uh. No, no, I'm going to say it. We know for sure two things. We don't know when Jesus will return to take us to be with Him, but we sure better be ready when He does. Every day we get a little closer to the day that we begin to see all of what's going to take place in Revelation unfold before our very eyes. Not sure it's up to us to determine when all that kicks in. It shouldn't bother us at all, though you and me as Christians... Ours is to go out and spread the word of impending doom and disaster, but also the promise of salvation. Maybe it's today. Maybe it's tomorrow that everything begins to take place. Maybe it's already begun. I I can't say. But as we close, do understand this. There are a lot of people on this earth, some we know, some we don't, that are waiting for us. You ever thought about that? Waiting for me? Waiting for what? They're waiting for us to give them what they need. A new lease on life. Eternal life. We know the story. 
Maybe we don't know all the details, but that's okay. The question for us this morning is knowing what you know right now, just when are you going to start telling folks? We may not. They may not have another day to wait. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Um, we, we read these words, and we know that they've been around a long time. And yet, Father, at one time even your son didn't know when that day was coming. Well, we don't today, but you've told us to go out and be ready and to help others become prepared for that time. Don't let us turn away from that. Let us listen, listen carefully, and listen closely. May we go out into the world and make a difference for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.